This is Beers with Hallows. Threats, Beers, and Mosquitoes. Welcome or welcome back. This is Beers with Talos, uh, episode, I don't know, Hazel put in a number here. I don't know what number we are, uh, but I'm sure it's 100 and something. Hey, BWT listeners, it is episode 138-ish, probably. I'm not really sure. Uh, if you know what episode this is, uh, do write in. It is what episode is it anyway at cisco.com. Uh, I am, this is a, this is an unusual episode. I am joined today by nobody else from Talos, um, but I am joined by the fabulous Rachel Toback. So I guess, Rachel, for people who don't know, uh, you, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and they can see why I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Rachel Toback. I am a hacker. I focus on the human element of security. So hacking people. And I'm the CEO of Social Proof Security. We focus on social engineering prevention. Yep, yep. And you've uh, you you have some chops, if I remember right. Um, you've done fairly well at the. Uh, and if you've never watched this live, if, if you end up at DefCon and are able to watch the social engineering piece, um, go go watch just the insanity that is that is that competition. But you've you've played second two or three years in a row at some point. Yeah, I did three right? years in a row. Three years in a row. I think that was DEFCON. I think it was DEFCON 24, 25, 26. I can't remember the years, but yeah, DEFCON 24, 25, 26, something like that. Yeah, so our marketing department sent me this whole list of stuff they want to talk about. And so we're going to ignore that. <laughs> when we were doing the prep, I was like, I feel like Matt's going to ignore this list. And then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I, I do apologize. I do apologize for not being able to make it to the uh, the prep session um, because as as we were discussing just before we started, I was at the Barbie movie. I had taken the day off to take my wife to see Barbie, um, and so uh, my vote is everybody should go see Barbie. It's important to take a day off of work and go see the Barbie movie and question your existence uh, if you can. Yeah, yeah. I got to tell you, like we were just, we were talking like for as. As a white dude sitting in a theater that was mostly packed with with a broad array of, of women, I very much was in the mode of I'm I'm just gonna sit here and enjoy the movie and and just not get in anybody's way. It was a fabulous movie. It was super it was it was it didn't pull any punches. I didn't know what I hadn't looked at it ahead of time to figure out what I expected. Or what to expect. So I went in not knowing that it was a really dramatic indictment of the patriarchy and the difficulties, like like a a very well laid out set of, of complaints uh, about everything that women face. And that actually brings me to like one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. Like uh, when 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 I found out we were going to be able to get to talk to you, um, and they were uh, and. You know, the folks were like, well, what do you want to talk to to, to Rachel about? I was like, ah, definitely want to talk to her about Wisp. Um, because that's actually, I think, the first time you and I talked um, was was you had been talking about Wisp on Twitter, and I made a donation um, along with you to help um, some folks to to go to DEF CON. Can you share, like, the awesomeness that is Wisp with, with folks so that they're aware of it and they know what opportunities they have to help? Of course. Um, okay, so I'm the chair of the board for the nonprofit WISP, which stands for Women in Security and Privacy. 
Uh, we do some really fun stuff. So um, we do educational pieces. So we're talking like a, a workshop, for instance, on lock picking or uh, the latest threats that we're seeing in the landscape, chat with a privacy recruiter, um, talk about identity and privacy in fintech, you know, like really kind of get nitty gritty with folks and we try and get hands on um, because we polled the folks that we work with. We work with women in underrepresented and underrepresented communities. Um, and we asked people, what do you need? And they said, I need education. I need scholarships. Uh, I need courses. I need exams, certs, training uh, and mentoring. So we also do mentoring and uh, and networking. And one of my favorite pieces, one of the the elements that I'm most involved with with WISP is our scholarship program. So we send women to DEF CON, Black Hat, RSA, IAPP, SANS trainings, MYs, Forrester. I mean, the list just goes like way, way on and on. Um, and I think that's what you contributed to, Matt. You you helped us send women to DEF CON. And I think we, we have 15 women going to DEF CON uh, coming up here. So that's going to be really cool. And women going to Black Hat. Um, so just creating that network for people. People want to meet their next boss. Uh, they want to meet the people that are going to be on their team and giving women an opportunity to meet the other people in the industry where they're already at is really powerful, really impactful. Um, and getting more women and in, in underrepresented groups into those spaces is really meaningful to us. So yeah, yeah, I was I was uh, I was looking through the WISP Twitter feed. I, like I was looking at your feed um, and WISP just to kind of look for some things to chat about while we were, we were talking. Um, and one young woman, Aaron, who is actually going to take advantage of this going, had got retweeted by a wisp. And the thing that stood out for her is she was talking about her neurodivergency, um, and how she was looking for other neurodivergent people who were going to kind of find her crowd, which I think is awesome. Um, I have, I have a son on the, on the autism spectrum and, and I know how, how challenging it must be. Like, like I, I can, I can just, I get anxious just thinking about sending him someplace to go like do social things. So it's cool. It's cool that that you're looking at like um, just helping a broad variety of, of people. It's really neat, and you know, people go and they find they find their friends, um, they find their community, their network, and that's something that's always been really meaningful to me. Before I got into hacking and before I got into tech, I was a teacher. Um, I taught for seven years, and I taught. Um, that makes sense. Yep, I taught children with disabilities. So I worked with children with autism. Um, and a broad variety of other spectrum disorders. Um, and it's just been like the coolest thing to be able to help people uh, do the things that they want to do. They have goals related to training, certification, making new friends, meeting their next boss. We just want to make sure that they can they can do that. Kind of trying to figure out like, it's so frustrating in some regard to like, uh, to, to have to have an organization like WISP and, 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 and I struggle sometimes because for me, just, we talk a lot about, we've talked a lot about on the podcast, like how each of us got into security and kind of, and what they've done in the past. And it's just worked out for me that when I joined SourceFire going on like 18 years ago now, um, who eventually got acquired by Cisco, which is how I ended up with Cisco, um, my manager was Lorraine Grenier, and so she's one of the hosts uh, on Pierce Tiles. She was unable to join again. I don't know if you've ever met her. Um, she is one of the smartest, if not the smartest human being I've ever met. And like she essentially taught me security. I came from a network engineering background. And it's just, 
I've had so many like super strong women role models. Not like I haven't sought them out, but I've been, you know, fortunate through my career, you know, including some, some early in career stuff. When I was just doing network engineering of just working for people that it just, I can't imagine my career without the influence of, of those people. So to, it just puzzles me sometimes how other people think about stuff. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting topic because I have such a different background than, you know, somebody who went to college for security or, you know, went to grad school. Um, I went to school for neuroscience and behavioral psychology. I mean, I worked in a rat lab. I, I did not work with people until I wanted to move into teaching. Um, and, I, you know, I'll, I'll bring up some examples. Let's say I'm doing like a workshop with a client, right? And we're talking through how we can update the authentication protocol for their team. And they're like, how did you know how to build this workshop? Like, they just have a question, like, how did you know how to do that? And it's like, oh, well, I was a teacher. I built curriculum for, you know, six, seven years. And they're like, oh, that's so useful. I would have never realized that being a teacher would have been so useful in this job that you have as a hacker and a CEO and, you know, helping us with our security. So, um, you know, and then we'll be doing a, a workshop together and we're all laughing and we're having a good time. And they're like, how did you know how to, like, kind of bring everybody together and, and make it funny? And like, oh, I used to perform improv in San Francisco on, you know, Saturday and Sunday nights. And they're like, what? Like, how did you, how do you mix that in? It's like when you bring people from other backgrounds that are not, they don't take the typical path to security, they naturally bring in their unique perspective. They naturally bring in the improv, the teaching, the UX research, research whatever it is that they did before they got here. Um, and that is only going to be an additive for your team. And I think sometimes people really underestimate just how impactful that's going to be. Like, it's not something that you should be trying to hit with a quota. You should be looking for people who have different types of backgrounds, career changers, because those are the people who they're going to come in and they're going to lead that workshop. And you're going to go, how did you learn how to do this? This was so cool. And we can be security, like, like we can be so welcoming um, uh, like I would, I would, I, I would argue that, that people in security on average are fairly progressive in, in their views. At least that's my experience. Um, but we also occasionally see like really strange things. Like, um, I can't remember the company, but there was a breach a couple of years ago and it turned out the woman who was the CISO for that organization had a music degree and like, Everybody and everybody just lost their minds, and I'm just like, what? I was, <laughs> what do you think CISOs are doing? Like, like they're up there, you know, just reverse engineering things, or like, like there's an enormous amount of of, of skill set and understanding and and knowledge base that you have to have as a CISO. That to a lot of um, technical security practitioners is probably completely foreign, and I know, like, they would not be good at. Yeah. I know, like a, that CISO who had a music background. Uh, what do you need to be able to do a music background? You need to be able to uh, work in a large group, right, really effectively. You know, if you're the chair, let's say you're you're like an orchestra chair or something like that, right? You need to be able to lead that group effectively, uh, motivate people, do the work that they're doing effectively, and and lead at the same time. You're really detail oriented. Really detail oriented. Like, yeah. Good at performance. Good at being on stage and and taking that lead. Um, being really good at math. Math is extremely involved with the music degree, right? 
And so, yeah, people come in and say, this person shouldn't have been a CISO. Like, you have no idea that person's path. They are probably nope. better, more well-equipped to be a CISO than you are. So the fact that you are under underestimating that person doesn't make any sense. And, yeah. you know, we can't blame someone's educational background uh, when they have a breach. Now, and I actually I ended up getting quoted uh, and they had my... I don't know how how happy PR was with me with with this uh, quote because it ended up being the headline. It was something like Cisco says um, something like not liking. I basically said it was a hot trash take, and that was the headline of this whatever article went out. Um, but yeah, you you had you had tweeted something earlier that had caught my eye that has nothing to do with security. Um, you were, you were arguing for the need for a back scratch machine, which absolutely I was agreeing with. But then the thing that I want to ask you about is that you said you were over here MacGyvering a manual back scratching tool. And I'm just wondering how that worked out for you. Um, I did not think this tweet was going to be brought up in this podcast. I love you <laughs> this out. Um, yeah. Okay. So here's the thing, right? We've got all of these machines for like a back massage, right? You put it over the back of a chair, you buy a chair, whatever, and it gives you like a deep tissue massage or something like that. That's great. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for a relaxing back scratch and it's so hard to find. And you and I find some cool YouTubers who do really interesting robotics, right? And I'm not, I'm not a robotics expert. I would never claim to be. But what I can do is MacGyver things. So I taped a back scratcher with a telescoping arm to an oscillating fan, and it worked. <laughs> so That's, you feel the same thing. And you were not injured. Like, I was not injured. That was my main question. It was like, like, clearly you survived, but I didn't know if like there was like just massive bandages on the back or anything. Nope, you know, no injury, uh, no problems. Uh, the tape is still on the oscillating fan, so it works, and uh, highly recommend if you feel the same way as me. Do you uh do you watch any of uh, Simone Gertz's uh YouTube videos? Is she's in- isn't she incredible? She is incredible. Yeah. Somebody tagged her when I posted that. They tagged Simone oh. and they were like, <laughs> "Simone, can you build this for Rachel?" I'm like, "I'm pretty sure Simone has bigger fish to fry." Doesn't she work with like NASA? I don't, I don't know. She she's uh she seems to to take pretty much any problem on. Like from the very big where she tried to turn a Tesla into a cyber truck without waiting for Tesla to make a cyber truck to uh, some of her like tool bin stuff where she's just building small little robots. So yeah, you said you, you said you'd look at just remembered her. She's a uh, she's she's so funny um, and talented. Like like I'm not a I'm a I'm not a physical builder person. Like I have no uh, mechanical engineering sense at all. Uh, so yeah, it's just. That's the other half of social proof security. That's Evan. Uh, he can build anything, uh, you know, blinky badges, electronic badges. We build these really elaborate Halloween costumes, like full-on life-size Tamagotchis. And, you know, we've done stuff like that over the years. But, uh, no, that's not me. I, I'm the idea woman. I'll come up with the idea yeah. for the robot to build, and then he will build me the robot. Our house is very fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. So... You're not gonna. You're hitting Black Hat this year. I'm hitting DefCon this year. You're you're hitting DefCon, but not Black Hat. Probably going to be more so at DefCon. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. 
Oh, that's right. There's the note clearly says. All right. So, all right. Well, they told you, you said you were going to ignore the note. So it makes sense, right? You have to say that. I'm gonna... I definitely ignored the note by not reading it properly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I've, uh, I think, uh, obviously I've got like corporate stuff to do on the black hat side and, and kind of meeting customers and partners in, in that period. I've, I've, uh, not gone to a DEF CON in a, in a few years, like, I should probably, the last time I was at DEF CON, um, Mitch, who I think you talked to yesterday, um, Mitch and I were, uh, were talking to an ex-Air Force pilot who was running the aviation, um, village. And, uh, he had been like an F-35 pilot, I think is, is how it was. And so he had taken us, he's like, come over and I'll give you a tour of the village. I'm like, we're cool. So we had to go over and, um... He's walking us around, and so he like stops dramatically, and he spins around. And he's like, "I've got a surprise for you," and I'm like, "We're like, okay, what's the surprise?" He says, "We have a flight simulator module here of the greatest plane the Air Force has ever built," and then simultaneously, both me and Mitch said, "Oh my God, you have an A-10 simulator," and he was like, "Get out." <laughs> And Mitch and I had never spoken about agents with each other about anything at all. He was the nicest guy. Um, I, and so it's a, it's really cool to see the, the explosion of villages. Um, yeah, it's really neat. Over there. It just, and it just goes to to the scope of what is security now. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like there was a time when security was like oh i got some metasploit um or i can like do a packet capture and seal a password and you know okay that was sort of the realm of it and with the explosion of both capability of the actors in terms of like where 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 threat service suddenly is and the explosion of what can be targeted by virtue of how much we put out there and how dependent we've come on on technology it's just, you know, back to the back to the background thing. I mean, I can't imagine trying to run like a real security research organization without just an incredible variety of people. Like, like there was a time when like just the weird guy who had had you know happened to run into a little security in college, or he hadn't graduated high school because he was just. Like that was the that was it was hacker boy and like that was it IT crowd style yeah yeah and now like I look at like so I run the the threat intelligence team for Talos and like I have just like very like like maybe like twenty percent of my team is kind of that traditional quote unquote security researcher component and then we have people who are doing a lot of social engineering work, trying to get access to different forums and kind of building personas and being in the right places and kind of like monitoring stuff. Um, communication specialist, back to your point earlier about, about the importance of that, just the, like, like, like we had, a, we had a, we had this <laughs> poor IR guy kind of ran into our, the, the person I kind of used to vet all of the research and analysis that, that, that we do. Um, and his paper, you know, was not ready for that review. 
And it's just the, the kind of the, and I think back to some of the stuff I had written like way back, you know, 10 years ago or so, it wouldn't have passed muster either. Like we like, like the professionalization and the broadening of scope and security is, is, is so, it's so important to where we are, I guess, as a security culture right now. Um, I don't think that any hiring manager if they want to do their job right, can afford to make presumptions about what someone can bring to a role. You really have to hire smart, the smartest person you can find who kind of fills those key requirements you have. And that's those secondary parts of them that fill out into that role are kind of like blessings that you get kind of afterwards. Um, a lot of the expertise that people have brought like weren't even in the primary kind of review that we had done. It was just, oh, you're also amazing at this. That's awesome. Yeah, I met I met this really cool person at DEF CON last year. Uh, he goes by the handle Lemon. I'll send this to him so he can hear me talking about him. And we met in the hallway right outside of the social engineering village and like Rogue's Village was nearby. And um, he came over and he was like, I want to show you a magic trick. And I was like, absolutely. Like, I'm always down for magic. If you if you come up to me at DEF CON, you're like, I want to show you a magic trick. Like, I'll stand there with you for 15 minutes for sure. Um, and he is trying to guess the card that I have and I'm trying to throw him off as a social engineer with all of my tells or anti-tells, I guess. I don't know if that's a real thing in magic, but you know. Um, and we, for like two hours, just stood there, basically two forces against each other, him trying to read me and me trying to make sure he can't read me. And, me, and we just kept saying like, this is what makes a pen tester in many ways more unique and more skilled the ability to throw off a tell or the ability to understand what somebody's saying if they're using different words and they're not actually saying that specific thing. Like we needed both sides of that coin and we thought it was so cool that we're standing in the hallway at DEF CON doing magic, but it really is related to security. He's one of the coolest pen testers I know. Um, and, and I don't think he would be as good as he is if he didn't have such a focus on magic. It's just, it's so interesting and so different from so many other fields. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it's also really useful for me for, a as a, as a manager who really likes the people who work on his team and wants them to keep working on his team is that scope that that security has means that I can rotate people kind of off and on to projects that kind of appeal into like, I, I can make it, I can like, oh, I'm going to make this project so that it kind of plays into what this person kind of enjoys like uh, you can really go after kind of those pieces as well there's a lot of um I don't know, it's just it's really interesting how broad you can make security if, if you're not if, if you get away from just thinking of it as like patch cve patch cve patch cve right right yeah i totally agree um i'm excited to go to defcon and see more of that uniqueness i think that really is what makes security such an interesting field to be within Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's it's a it's it's a it's a great place to kind of kind of see to kind of take a measure of where we are as a kind of a security culture with a def definite U.S. Western kind of bias, but like kind of like one kind of weird slice of of all the different things that are put together that ultimately are are trying to protect people like like. Like the foundation of that is that everyone's kind of working together to try to make things better for people, um, but it's it's so 
it's so open in terms of of how we run our organizations that people can really invest themselves into the work as opposed to invest some kind of model that they've built um, to satisfy the corporate strictures into it. So we still have the the utility kilts and everything else, but we also have, you know, a variety of other sort of like, you know, different kind of subcultures that run along that, that people are able to continue to to do those things that they enjoy, but also apply all of that to security as well. Yeah. So what do you think are the big struggles facing the folks that you're talking to? Like for 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 me, the thing that continues to to really kind of grab the attention of the CISO suite continues to be for for most organizations the ransomware issue um that seems to be kind of key is that is that something that that you're feeling as well or is there other pieces that are that are also starting to grab attention yeah absolutely i think ransomware is definitely super top of mind many of the people that i talk to um they reach out because they say listen we had something really bad happen we're embarrassed we don't know what to do um how do we how do we make this harder to happen in the future whether it's really bad phishing attack um somebody tricks somebody over the phone. They want to know what are the capabilities of attackers right now. They Maybe they saw me on 60 Minutes do that AI voice cloning. And they're like, hey, I feel like I would have fallen for that. Can you walk us through how we could avoid falling for that in the future? Um, so yeah, AI, ransomware, social engineering, human-based attacks over the phone. We're seeing a huge increase in text message-based attacks to get around the email filtering and and tools that folks have on their work machines so there's it's it's a whack-a-mole game and attackers are good defenders are good they're just going to keep going back and forth yeah one of the we just published our uh i think today actually we just published our uh our quarterly ir review and one of the the stats that that my team kind of came up with was that 40 percent of the irs that we ran last quarter involved just valid credentials as the initial vector like they just just logged in um which is which is like a killer like 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 the only defense like like that i can think of is is two-factor authentication on that like it's such it's such a head start for attackers to just start as someone presumably that you know oh absolutely and i mean one of the big things that's really interesting to me is the speed that it takes uh, companies to adopt things that they want to adopt. Like, I'll be speaking with an organization for over a year, and we'll get their MFA up to date. We'll get the MFA to match the threat model. We'll start a YubiKey test group with their admins. Um, and then we go to say, hey, let's let's go ahead and make a move on this password manager so we're not reusing passwords that end up in breaches, which then allow these bad actors to gain access just with a simple password found in a CSV file somewhere. Um, and they're like, man, it is so hard to roll out a password manager. It is so hard to change culture like that. But we do it. It just takes so much time, you know? And I think in security, when we talk about these things on, say, InfoSec, Twitter, Mastodon, Blue Sky, et cetera, we really are coming at it from a lens of perfection. I, I see a lot of, you know, get rid of SMS two-factor. It's no good. Um, you know, this password manager stinks, right? All that stuff. When in reality, if we were to help even 50%, 50% of the folks at these organizations get any level of password management, 
stop password yep. reuse, get any level of two-factor, um, they would be in such a better spot. So, um, yeah, I mean, a, a huge part of my job is just not letting perfect be the enemy of good. Yep, 100%. Helping people understand what's a right match for their threat model, which is really hard to understand sometimes. They might think, like, who's going to come after me? I'm in customer support. Like, I'm, I just started. I'm really junior. And, yeah, you might be junior, but you're the first person that I'm going to contact when I'm trying to hack the company. You actually have one of the highest threat models up there with the executives. So, yeah, we got to protect you. We got to get you a password manager. We got to get you a YubiKey. So what are your, so I guess like if you, if you're talking to your customer, like what are the top three general things that you're telling them, kind of recommendations? Like these are the three things that you definitely need to do to kind of biggest impact items to, to kind of combat, say, ransomware. I'd say the, the biggest pieces that I say to combat ransomware is to back up your systems, test those systems all the time so that you're comfortable rolling back to them. It takes the sting out of ransomware, right? If you make it less of a big deal, if it does happen, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable with your team implementing the rest of these protocols and procedures. Limiting and auditing admin access is another huge opportunity for organizations. There's just so much bloat as the team gets big. And suddenly, 85% of the team has admin access. And now there's so many different people that I can pop. Um, you know, these criminals are going to go after so many different individuals. And they just have such a good rate of attack um, if 85% of people have admin access. Then educating on social engineering so they understand phishing, how to report quickly, the importance of patching, avoiding password reuse, avoiding password defaults um, on any of their tools or infrastructure. And then we get into the technical tool stuff. So things like having the right multi-factor authentication for your threat model. If you have admin access, can we move towards a small test group of YubiKeys or passkeys? You know, implementing that password manager and avoiding password reuse and sharing passwords appropriately with the password manager, not in Slack, <laughs> Teams, across Gmail, et cetera. Um, enabling encryption, disabling unused remote access tools, um, upgrading aging infrastructure, monitoring and logging. I mean, you asked for the top three, right? But I would... I, I'm happy to take four. <laughs> I would be disingenuous if I were to say that there are only three things. There are so many things we have to do right, to to be able to combat this really nuanced threat of ransomware. And and really, that's it. Yeah, and, and companies are kind of like people in that, like, when you get a new hire um, and you kind of read their resume and you've seen what they do, you kind of build in your mind, right, these are the things this person can you do. And then as you get to know that person, you suddenly find that there are like just these weird gaps in capabilities where you had made an assumption that the only way they could have gotten here that they knew this. And like you sort of have to like like kind of fill in the gaps. Kind of that's how it with, is with companies. Some companies have really good postures in certain places and like really subpar po postures in others. And the other the other piece of that that I thought you were going for earlier, but you kind of, you kind of spun on me was how companies are to roll things out post-breach that they had fought for years pre-breach. <laughs> it's funny because, yeah, a lot of times I'll work with an organization pre- and post-breach, right? Helping them right. get up to speed and unfortunately they don't have that password manager yet and then the password manager issue comes to a head in the breach and then boom, the password manager is implemented. So 
yeah, it's definitely interesting to see if you make a recommendation. Folks say, listen, that's just not in the cards for the next six, eight, 12 months. And then it suddenly very much is in the cards, right? So um, yeah, it's one of those things where you cannot force people to change. All you can do is nudge people in the right direction, showcase the data, talk about the stories, make it interesting, and then help them understand the importance. And a lot of times folks will make the right choice to move. It's just that sometimes organizations move slowly and they get caught up in a breach before they've been able to make that change. Yeah, the other the other space that that we as like Talos and Cisco both now um, with this re- recent announcement um, are really concerned about is there's been like this surge in threats against network, like front edge network devices. So like VPN gateways, routers, you know, things that are just on the outside of your perimeter or define your perimeter and and don't have security controls in front of them. And like so much of what you said also applies there. Like like a lot of what we're seeing, particularly when we're seeing attacks against Cisco devices is like post auth volumes being used where poor password choice had come into it. And those volumes are like five, six years old um, on this gear. And it's super challenging on these kind of network hardware devices to get time to upgrade them. And and they run, you know, really well. They're durable. You know, there's, they're durable. And so to some extent, like, yay, Cisco for building something. Like there's Catalyst 5500s out there that have like, you know, 20-year run times. And that's like not something to celebrate. That's a, that's a pretty serious problem. Um, but congratulations, you made a box that lasts forever. Yeah, <laughs> at least as far as that's concerned. But it also is a great place for bad guys to hang out um, if they can get access there. So um, it's, it's 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 it was it was very interesting that like a number of those things kind of overlap from kind of what you were you were you were kind of seeing. Yeah, like better like designing. You have upgraded infrastructure that people, if they make those upgrades, you're going to be so much safer keeping those things patched, avoiding default passwords. If you have aging infrastructure, updating that. Um, There's so much overlap between the ways that we support people in avoiding phishing risk, avoiding ransomware risk, and mitigating a lot of the network security risk that you probably deal with on a daily basis. That actually reminds me of something I wanted to to ask you about. Um, With the social engineering piece, I would say that for the incidents that, that we've seen kind of, if I compare ransomware and extortion incidents to kind of draw kind of a real kind of fine line there, we're seeing a ton more social work happen on these, in these extortion gangs where they, yeah. Is that something that you've experienced as well? Like that's, there seems to be like this kind of like purely technical, I'm going to use this CVE, get in, run this thing, get priv, you know, shift over, get GPO, push my stuff, go, I'm win. Um, and then it seems like a very low tech target the human kind of approach from a lot of the extortion folks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've seen a huge increase, I'd say, since the pandemic began um, of really, I call them not sophisticated attacks. I mean, in the news, when these attacks happen, a lot of times they're described as sophisticated. Oh, oh yes, they are. A call came in. They pretended to be IT support. They tricked customer support into handing over their credentials. They were able to gain access to their MFA tool, turn it around in real time on Telegram. Um, You know, that's not sophisticated, at least to me. That's, you know, very human based and 
It doesn't use even really very much code at all. Um, but these attackers are starting on forums even more so now than ever before to communicate out. This is the playbook that I used. It worked really well. Um, or just going ahead and bribing people, extorting people, telling people that they have captured them through their webcam and they need to give access to the back end yep. of this admin tool. Um, you know, and it's it's really rough out there right now. It, it feels a little bit of a resurgence of the wild, wild west. Yeah, and I guess we should have, I mean, like, there were there were kind of telltale signs of this, if you draw some connections back to some of the business email compromise stuff, is largely social engineering. Um, and and I think folks have figured out, or are exploring, because I don't think this, I don't think we've fully figured out, I don't think they've fully dedicated themselves to the extortion, but I think they're in that space trying to figure out how much they can get in the big game space. But, like, I can definitely see some techniques and some approaches kind of going from business email compromise over into the extortion space. Whereas a lot of the line drawings from ransomware into the extortion space and it's, it's, you know, so it involves the exfiltration of data, the capture of that, the evaluation of that. And there are technical components to it. It's not a, they're not completely non-technical. Um, but, but it does rely on, on, on stuff. Like, what do you, like, this is, this is kind of right in the wheelhouse of your firm. Like, what do you, what are your recommendations for controlling that social aspect? Because clearly some of the recommendations you provided earlier are technical controls that you're hoping back a failure on the human component. But how do you harden that human component itself? Yeah. Hardening the human component, I call this being politely paranoid. And what I mean by this is using two methods of communication to confirm people are who they say they are and building that protocol into your human communication at work because humans are allergic to feeling awkward. They will do anything they can to be a good employee, a good teammate, a good executive assistant. And so if I email, text, or call your EA and I say something like, hey, I need access to that financial modeling deck. I'm on, a, I'm on the plane right now. Uh, if you could go ahead and send it to this personal address, uh, email address, that'd be really helpful. If you could send that in the next two hours, that would be awesome. Thank you. And then signed with the, let's say, the executive that the EA supports. More often than not, they're going to send that deck because they're allergic to feeling awkward. They want to do a good job and they have no protocol in place to double check that person is who they say they are. And they feel like they're going to lose their job or lose human capital, you know, that social capital with the people that they trust if they start saying, yeah, but I got to just check and make sure this is legit, right? Because mm -hmm. they've probably been burned in the past where somebody said, of course it's me. Please just send it. They get frustrated. They get mad, right? We need people to build empathy and human-based protocols up. And so what that means is if you get a text and it's requesting from IT support that you log re-log into Okta, well, that's the exact type of attack that hit Twilio and Cloudflare, Right. So we should probably first know that that's a common attack, have the education and awareness to recognize it in the moment, and two, have the human-based protocol built into the work society that we've created such that that person can respond to somebody in IT support and say, hey, uh, on Slack, Teams, email, call, any other method of communication, hey, I got that message from you, just verifying it's legitimate like we always do. And that person says, yeah, that was me, or nope, that was not me, and you were about to get hacked. Good work. 
Um, that's a huge part of the change that organizations are creating internally. And it's one of the biggest parts of my job, probably like 50% of the time coming in and supporting organiza organizations through that massive adjustment. Um, and when they do that, they make my life as an attacker so hard and so obnoxious. And that's what you want. I love the, I love kind of holding the manager accountable in some way here to, to, to that, the way they conduct themselves in their human interactions leading up to this event in some way determines how that event's going to play out. If you haven't built the level of trust with your employees to where they can act on their suspicions and they don't just default to not getting yelled at again by the boss, like that's definitely on you. But that, that actually makes me wonder kind of another thing. Like, so when you're doing red teamwork, there's always this weird tension between yourself and the customer where the customer sort of like wants you not to be successful, but also the best thing you can do for that customer is is to really wreck shop and then come back through and kind of like guide them through everything, kind of make good recommendations. And that's just when you're talking about um, kind of going after their network and, and operating systems and, and, this, and the computerized pieces of it. You guys do a ton of social engineering. How do you approach bringing human failure into the conversation like in a way that's graceful for the for the recipients. Yeah. I toe this really crazy line um, where I am often brought in to update the protocols and procedures for human-based interactions at a company to prevent social engineering. Then they bring me in six, 12 months later to do a social engineering pen test. So I now have to go up against the protocols that I helped them build. The number one way to keep me out, I now have to try and go up against. So I tow this incredibly strange line where I will fortressify their company and then attempt to get in and just frustrate the hell out of myself, which is so fun to do. Um, but also so, such a strange, it feels like I'm playing for two very different teams at the same time, right? Um, but yeah, so we go in there and we support the organization through Whatever, whatever level of social engineering maturity they're at. So if the organization isn't comfortable talking about social engineering and human-based threats, if they don't yet have reinforcement in place when somebody reports a fish and they get yelled at if that wasn't just regular spam and it wasn't even a fish, then now we have to take time before we do the pen test to get to a place of reinforcement. That goes back to my behavioral psychology and neuroscience learnings that people don't learn without reinforcement. That is how our brain is wired with our dopamine channels. So if you get a slap on the wrist every time you report something that's not actually a fish, are you going to report the fish when it's actually a fish? Probably not. You're probably going to shut up, right? Uh, and so it's really important to set up the reinforcement channels to get people excited about talking about social engineering so that when the pen test happens, it's a conversation. It's an educational opportunity. It feels like Mr. Robot and exciting. It does not feel scary. It does not feel like, am I going to lose my job? That's what we need to avoid. And so we have to set the culture. We've got to set up the be being politely paranoid uh, protocols and procedures so that nobody's getting yelled at around reporting the right way, checking that somebody is who they say they are before they take an action. And then we go in there once the protocols are set up and we go ahead and see if we can still get through, if the protocols are working, if we need to tweak them. I do not like coming in 
to do a pen test without doing those protocol walkthroughs first because I don't want to come in, completely wreck your organization to the point where folks get nihilistic. And they're like, there's no way we'd be able to remediate all of this. This is so stressful. This is so intense. I like to help them get to a point where it's more manageable first. And a lot of organizations, they want that baseline, right? They want to know how bad is it going to be? And I can tell them bad. It's going to be bad. I'm going to get in within 30 seconds. I'm going to exfiltrate your data. I'm going to steal your money. There's going to be morale issues at the company. X, Y, Z is going to happen. People might even leave because they're so freaked out about what happened at the company. We don't want that. Let's go ahead and update this first. Then we'll do a baseline. We'll see where you're at once you, you've made some upgrades. I love it. Yeah, so it makes my life really annoying as a pen tester. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that's a point, right? Like, I don't want to come in there and be super successful all the time. No, no. Like, like, like one of my guys has a pretty, what I think is a pretty bad take, where... Um, where he's like, you know, if, if this person fails the fishing test like three times, you should probably like discipline them. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, wow, one, you're not gonna win any friends that way. <laughs> like, you're not gonna build trust as an IT. But also, I remind him like, like I failed a fishing test at one point, like inside of Cisco. Like, uh, I was having a some, I don't remember what it was. I was having an HR issue that I was trying to get through for one of my employees, getting some kind of thing through. Um, and I just gotten done with this and this is complete chance, but I just gotten done with this really stressful conversation with HR and I was super aggravated. I get this in retrospect, super poorly worded email like, but it was like, your HR case has been closed. Please click here to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what are these? And I click it and it comes up and I'm like, this day cannot get worse. <laughs> so it's, 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 uh, like humans are human, right? You're going to, you're going to, it's, they're not like computers. You're not going to find them at their best every time. So I really like your approach of building out the protocols to, to backfill the being human part um, and making it a space where you can, where you can safely, safely implement those protocols. Yeah, absolutely. We always say that under the right timing, the right duress, the right situation, the, the right level of lack of sleep, um, any pretext could probably work on a person if it's if it's the right pretext for them in that moment. That HR pretext happened to be relevant for you because you were working Killed on me. HR, right? <laughs> Murdered me. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's so tough. And um, even people who write phishing attacks for a living fall for phishing attacks. It's just one of those things that you can't be 100% perfect on, which is why we have the technical tools to back people up to make it less of a big deal when it does happen. That's the whole point. That's why we exist. Have you been socially engineered before? Like, would you like? Can you think of a time when like people like... try all the time? It's constant. Yeah. It's just it's so annoying. <laughs> I'm like, can we please do something else? Like, leave me alone. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anything else you want to chat about? What are you excited about at Hacker Summer Camp? Um. So I'm not going to be a DefCon. I'm going to Black Hat. I am, uh, this is, this is a very, like, I'm super excited about talking to customers. Yeah. I, I had the opportunity to go to a, a kind of a customer summit a couple, three weeks ago. Um, and I got to talk to, and you get to talk to us, and I'm like, how do you defend this? How do you, like, I'm constantly, like, I'm asking, like, like, where, what are you doing? And, and we were doing through an exercise, and I saw the word sinkhole on the wall in like a really unexpected place. And I'm like, which of you are doing sinkholes? And and this person raises a hand and I'm like, 
what are you doing? Like, like, and so they kind of explain this really sick setup where they've kind of like redirected all their failed firewall rules to a sinkhole and they're building all these protocol handlers and they're like, we catch like all kinds. I'm like, I bet you do. This is awesome. And like, so I, I really like seeing, because as a vendor, I don't know, I don't know if you feel like this um, in, in, in the space that you're in, but like as a vendor, I feel like we spend a lot of time in a bubble. Like, like we are perceived as the, the kind of the experts. And so we're constantly trying to gather all this information to make sure we're kind of on the edge. But like the actual defense part, sometimes I have to go back and kind of refresh, like, well, what is the blue team doing? Like I, I'm watching the bad guys, but what are the six things that you guys are doing to kind of to beat all this? So I'm getting a lot of hardware certificates and like, you know, hand-built laptops and sinkholes and a lot of stuff. So I love talking to customers um, and, and learning learning what they're doing to solve the problems that they're facing because they're so complex. I love that. I will also say I used to be a UX researcher. I led a UX research team at a tech company um, back in the day. I did a lot of different disparate things, uh, but that is one of my very favorite things to do, just listening to people, how they use a specific tool and understanding how they get creative with it because you think someone's going to use something one way and they will... MacGyver, we're going to use the word again. They want MacGyver a completely different way of using that tool. So that's the, I, I say this all the time, meeting people where they're at. If they use a tool in a specific way, if they are sinkholing, that's great. Learn more about what they're doing and how maybe you could implement that into some of your education or communication um, to your customers. And I just think that ability to listen, to reframe we hear a lot of the times, the customer's doing it the wrong way. No, they're not. You're actually implementing it the wrong way because they're all doing it a different way. Try and understand how you can meet them where they're at. That's actually the right way because that's what they're doing. So make it easy for people. People are going to do the easier thing. I think that's really cool. And I think that's a superpower. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, Rachel, it has been a pleasure again. Thank you for your time. Um, sorry, I couldn't bring the whole crew to chat with you, but you know, I don't mind being a little selfish and, uh, spending the whole hour or so with you. Um, if real quick, if people want to get involved or help with WISP, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Yes. They can follow us on Twitter, WISP org, O-R-G, WISP org. And that has all the information about our website. You'll find our donation information, sending women to DEF CON and different scholarships and training opportunities coming up and the ways that you can support us there. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Hope I have a good time. Hopefully I will see you uh, in Vegas. If I do, um, I do want to introduce you to Hazel Burton, who uh, helps with the podcast. She also does stand-up comedy uh, in England, and she is hilarious. Uh, and, you know, you'd love her. So if we get a chance, we'll, we'll definitely cross your paths. That sounds great, Matt. Well, it was great to chat with you. Thanks for having me on. Have a good time. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye.